Yeah. All right, everybody stand up real quick, if you don't mind. Thanks for taking directions from a stranger. <laughs> All right. So uh, you're totally free to sit down if when you look at your life, you feel like, just honestly, you have it all together. All right, so we're all on the same page. <laughs> so, Lord Jesus, we just ask you to come and speak to us this morning as we seek your truth. We want to know you. You are truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the way to know God. There is no other road. This road is narrow. And we really need your help on it. We don't, we don't make it down this road without your help. No doubt about it. There's a way that is wide and worn, and that way leads to death. And there's a road and a path that is narrow, and that road leads to life. And you are the bridge. You're the only bridge. So we just receive your truth this morning, Jesus. We receive your words. We receive your company, your friendship. We bless your name. We just say that you, your name, Jesus, is literally above all the other names. There's nobody like you. There's no name on the same level. Yeah, nobody's like you, Lord. So come. Thank you, Lord. Make us aware. Open up the eyes of our heart to see you for who you are. Open up our ears to receive your wisdom and understanding. You're the center, Lord. You're the engine. You're the gas. You're the spokes on the tires. Everything. Everything. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for soiling, excuse me, for toiling in the soil of our hearts. Thank you for preparing the way. For the Lord. We receive you, Jesus. We receive your truth. Amen. All right, you don't have to have it together to sit down now. You can, you're good. <laughs> Thank you, Drake. <laughs> yeah, so a couple things. Um, do we still have announcements? All right, let's put a couple of those up there. So, we are The Awakening. We have Facebooks and all those things. If you want to get connected, that's one way to do it. You can keep going. We have small groups. They meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays. If you're interested, you can let me know. Um, or you can text that number right there, which is a really cool thing. It's not a person's phone number. It's just a, uh, it's a number that's like an account. It'll send you back an auto-reply of what small groups look like. Next. If you guys hadn't got on the Athens Prayer Watch, it is phenomenal. Like, when revival hits Athens, is my personal belief, 
And this is not like our ministry. <laughs> we just love these people. It is totally my belief that like this will be used in a major way. It's like unifying the city right now. So just bless that, Lord. That's that text in church number. Um, if anybody needs anything, the best way is to text that number, 706-705-4304. You text the word announcements, and it, uh, it sends you fresh announcements from the week. So is that everything? Oh, we'll get to that later. <laughs> All right, cool. You can flip over to the sermon, bro. Man, that's that one thing I think that uh, the psalmist got, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's probably literally, uh, I'll just be very, today I'm going to be very honest. Uh, hopefully I'm always honest, but today is just a very <laughs> honest day. Um, what I'm talking about this morning and what we're walking through together is uh, something that literally Jesus is walking me through. Uh, this is by no means a completed revelation in any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but it is something that God has done a major work in my heart about. Um, and the fruit of it has literally been dynamic life change and across the board relationship change in every way, shape, and form. Um, there's no way I'd be standing here in this moment doing this, if not for what God had done in these things. But the reason I had you guys stand up and then be silly about having it together is because I'm, I'm just being honest. I really don't have it together. He holds it together. That have it together thing is a total crock of fooey. It's just not, it's not real. No one has it together. It does, I mean, the more and more and more people I meet who I would look to or would have looked to, I guess, is majorly phenomenal, incredible Christ followers that I've been like, oh my gosh, pray for me, talk to me, sit with me. The more I meet people who are on that level for real, the more they're aware how much they don't have it together. It's like the common trait. They get it. They get that all things come together in Christ. That through all things, through him all things were made, and that in him all things hold together. And that is the reality. It's not like a Christian mantra. It's not like a style of church. The reality is that Jesus holds it all together. The closer we are with him, the closer we connect to the realities that are in our lives. For example, so we've been, if you know the Lord, if you've been born again, you've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. That is true. If you know the Lord, you've been born again, there's been a transfer in your heart. A heart of stone has been taken out. The heart of flesh has been put in. That is true. But if, if you don't know how to be in relationship and fellowship and intimacy with God, then those truths will start to feel like half-truths, will then start to feel like no-truths, lies, legends, and myths, and things that you're missing out on because you can't keep it together. When the whole point is never for you to keep it together, ever. The whole point is to come before the throne of God boldly in our time of need to find grace. That's the whole point. Jesus paid the price we could have never paid for intimacy. 
So if you're here this morning, and none of that means a hill of beans to you, then I'm really excited. Because God is really good, and his kindness is stupid. It's very large, and unlike anything I've ever encountered in my life. So, my name is Jesse. It's really nice to meet you if I don't know you. And, um, hello, brother. You guys bear with me, because some of the things I'll be talking to you about this morning are very vulnerable to me. They're not, uh, this one's real close to the jugular. This is something God is currently walking me through. So, praise the Lord. So, we're going through a series right now called Keys to Abundant Life. Um, essentially what that means is that we so believe that, uh, you know, we totally believe in the cross and the resurrection. And, you know, without the resurrection, you know, Christianity's like not real. You know what I mean? It's like lots of people died on crosses. Jesus got back up. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people who died on crosses for, you know, way worse crimes. Um, it's just that our God got back up. And so we, we, we believe in resurrected life. We believe in life now in the kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit, facilitated by the grace of God, where we're like walking with God. We're walking in the things of God. And that doesn't just mean like supernatural gifts. If you're not familiar with like the prophetic or healing or praying in tongues, I don't care. I want you to know the Father. You know what I mean? Like all those things are nothing without love. They're nothing. They're totally irrelevant without love. And he is love. So just translate that as like, all those things, whatever you think they are, whatever the things you're longing for, whether it's supernatural or to be the most studied person of the Word of God or whatever, pick, pick your flavor of Christianity. They're nothing without Him. They don't hold together. They're empty. They're disappointing. They will not give you what you're looking for. What the human heart longs for is to be known and to know. And that's very possible. Because the veil was torn. So, that's where we're going. One of these keys is uh, something that I'd lived through quite a bit. Am I familiar? You don't have to raise your hand, but just, you know, nods are helpful. Am I familiar with the concept of, like, performance-based Christianity or performance orientation? Or, again, pick your culture. They'll call it a different thing. Essentially, it's like the antithesis of the gospel. <laughs> so, if you ever think about what the gospel is, and think about what it's not, that's like performance-based Christianity. So this morning, uh, I'm going to be telling my life story, and we're going to call it this sermon <laughs> about deliverance from performance-based Christianity. So like I said, you guys, you guys bear with me. Uh, these things I share with you are not dramatizations. They are real. <laughs> I wish some of them were dramatizations. <laughs> All right, you keep going. So, I uh, rightly called this that terrible life. It took everything in me to not spell that D-A-T. Um, Performance-based Christianity is just a fancy way of describing a form of legalism. And it's one of the most common forms of legalism in the church, partly because it's so subtle, we'll get to that, and partly because we forget that everything we have is from God. How unfortunate. Performance-based Christianity is that form of legalism that tries to earn God's love or favor by what we do 
or how we perform. So, yes and amen to being delivered from that. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of basically, you can keep going next slide. That's what I mean when I say performance-based Christianity. It's, um, it's the Christian life in which your choices and actions, uh, it's really unfortunate because a lot of times they get praised, but they're totally looking to earn God's favor, earn the value, to earn the value of other men and of your, your father, people you look up to, and especially of God. It's like this constant performance in your life. And that's uh, exhausting. And it's, again, just remember, antithesis of the gospel. <laughs> so, an ungodly form of striving is central to performance-based Christianity. Striving to win acceptance. Here's where this gets deep uh, in our souls. Uh, who knows that humans are a bunch of messy people? Amen. Um, I'm inherently bad. Here's an example from my life. I am inherently bad, so therefore I need to do a lot of good things to even out the scales. Man, that was an exhausting decade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But when we strive so hard, it's like that forced thing, you know. I, uh, it's so funny. So my mom is actually here this morning. And one of the best things my mom told me growing up my whole life, and I was, I totally thought that I had game. I had no game. All right. So if you ever see me in pictures with pretty girls, they're probably my cousins. So, you know, it's like I had, <laughs> there was, <laughs> there was no game to spit. All right. The cupboard, the cupboard was a bit bare. <laughs> and I remember I would like meet somebody or be talking to somebody, or trying to take somebody to a dance, and mom would be like, honey, less is more. And I'm like, you'll know what you're talking about. I got this, mom. She's like, Jess, less is more. I was like, I should have I listened to my mom. <laughs> I'd have probably had girlfriends. <laughs> but that was like, a, it's like the, striving is like that thing where somebody's just trying too hard you know, it's like there's effort involved, you know, but you're just trying too hard, you know. It just shouldn't be like this. It's awkward. You're terrible at it. This, this is just not a, a good solution. You're trying too hard. You're pushing through. You're like manufacturing this stuff, you know. I used to, I literally, <laughs> my mom would come in the room. This is, thanks for being here, mom. This is great. You just remind me of so many stories. Mom would come in the room, and some of you babies not, not remember this, but uh, AOL Instant Messenger was a way of life, and it was not just like a form of communication. It was literally like a lifestyle, you know, chat rooms. Uh, you know, when, you're, when you were on AOL, you know, they were, they were fair. You know, they weren't super sketchy. They were just like, you go to chat rooms, you talk to people, you get people's screen names. Mine was Jaw Warrior 1286 that stands for God's warrior in P.O.D., and do you even know who P.O.D. is? <laughs> There's an old semi-Christian band. <laughs> and uh, 12 was baseball, and I was born in 1986. So, you know, some of my favorite people to talk to were Legs 109 Cutie. Uh, shout out Abby Holbrick, if you're listening. Uh, Ellie May 86, Kaylee Jackson. Yeah, 
Those were, those were two of my favorites. Cu- so I would come in anyways. There was this long list of girls who didn't like me, but I was trying really hard. And I, I would have like four or five, right? Four or five IM conversations on the screen. Just like, I mean, there was literally like, I'd be there for hours. And my mom's like, Jess, they're, they're playing you. <laughs> and I'm like, no, mom. I was like, can't you see? <laughs> and uh, yeah, listen, listen to your parents. Um, but I just remember that life. I, so that's, that, to me, that was like the epitome of striving. It's like I had the hookah shell necklace. I had the gel in my hair. I, it looked like I stuck my finger in a light socket. I was taking pictures with pretty girls who were my cousins and then hoping people saw them thinking I was. <laughs> Anyways, and I was so sweaty all the time. So it just really didn't work. You know what I mean? It just, it just didn't work as much as I tried. I wanted it to work so bad, you know? I, um, yeah, that was my life. Just stri- strive central. Just work really, really hard, you know? Um, so striving is the opposite of resting. That's pretty simple. Um, I totally believe that striving develops where identity is lacking. A lack of identity is like that space. It's like that void where the temptation to strive gets real strong, you know? If I'd have known that I didn't have to, like, spend exhausting amounts of time on the phone or on AIM as a middle schooler, my middle school years would have been very, very different, you know? Because I totally was, like, fun. I, like, I was totally fun and played sports and loved my sports and loved my teammates, and I just didn't have to put in all that extra effort. I had opportunities to have relationship, but I didn't get that at all. I totally thought that I had to get girls. Yeah, whatever that meant. I heard about it in movies. You know, I don't even, I didn't even know what that meant at the time, but one thing I want to be clear about we're talking about striving. We're talking about performance-based Christianity. I'm not talking about a set of behaviors at the core of it. Now, maybe those behaviors manifest from the core of it, all right? But what I'm talking about is an attitude of the heart. A lot of times, performance-based Christianity, striving, that whole life, it, you might be doing the right things. That's a decade of my life that we'll get to, but for the wrong reasons, it really, really is. If, you, if nothing else, Lord, like, help our hearts understand that you, you see the heart. And it is about being right before God, audience of one. And in that place, striving dies. Because you're just before the Lord and it's okay. Wherever you're at. Horrible day, amazing day. It's all good. But where there's no identity, when you don't know you're a son or a daughter, when you think you've got to really work hard to earn daddy's acceptance, you know, not realizing you've got it in bucket loads already, this is where this stuff comes in. So a lot of times it looks like doing the right things for the wrong reasons. It's the difference between living from value, like knowing you're valued, or living for your value. You live from the place where you know you're valuable. Everything flows out of that, you know. Even take, take a dumb example, like go back to that middle school AIM situation for me. If I'd have just even had a clue how valuable I was, and I had so many people in my life who told me that all the time. My parents love me. Like, I'm very valuable to them. That was never doubted my entire life. But I just didn't get it for myself. I didn't really value myself. 
And if I'd have known that, I wouldn't have had to spend all that time on these pointless conversations that I knew were pointless, that we're getting nowhere, you know? I wouldn't have had to do that. But I didn't know that, and so I did do that all the time. Um, the difference between uh, putting your identity before your destiny versus your destiny before your identity. So when identity rightly sits first in the heart, when that's the cornerstone, destiny just unfolds. It's not even like an effort. You're like, I know who I am. I know what I do. I know whose I am. I know what God says about me. Your destiny just unfolds. It just happens. Doors open up. Things change. Your perspective changes. You just become who you are in the Lord. When you try to put your destiny before your identity, which is the story of my life, it is a total train wreck. You're literally trying to accomplish in your flesh the will of God. And we know that in the flesh, from Scripture, it's impossible to please God. Right? Straight out of Scripture. So, Holy Spirit helps us. It's the whole point. How could Jesus look at the people who've been following him and say, it's actually better for you if I go? If I don't go, the helper won't come. So if you don't know Holy Spirit, you should really get to know him. Really, really, really. Really. Um, go back one slide. Let me see the end of that. So just again, to be clear, just as like overall paradigm for we're about to go, because we're going to dive into the scriptures, not a set of behaviors. Behaviors totally are a part of this, but it's really an attitude of the heart. It's, it's the heart thing going on. You can totally do the right things for the wrong reasons. You know, and identity has to have the home base. Things have to start there, or there's like no field. So, psychologists and counselors say that it can come from myriad of reasons uh, when you're a little kid. Uh, too much praise, too little praise, conditional love, unmet needs. You don't have to write any of that down. Our culture, in general, is totally oriented around performance. We praise performance. The best performers in our culture make the most money. The most money is made by the best performers, athletes, musicians, rock stars, the greatest. And there's nothing, and I'm, I'm not against being excellent. I totally hope and believe in my heart that my businesses in the Lord will grow and that I will have resources for kingdom. I'm not against that at all. But in our culture, everything we do is oriented around performance and the best. They get the most reward. They get the most likes. They get, I mean, everything. Our whole lives are built around that. So there's totally some really great reasons, probably in our childhoods and in our experiences, where these things really take root. But whether you came from a really hard home situation or a really awesome home situation, we are all this way to a degree. And we are all influenced to be this way by our culture. America is like the epicenter of performance orientation. So this is helpful. Um, bad fruit. So maybe just think about this um, as I'm saying these out loud. Kind of do a little inventory before the Lord and see if you notice any of these things in your life. Some bad fruit of this attitude may or may not look like the following. You work too hard to please. That's correct grammar. You may sabotage success in order to fail, testing whether you're still loved, even if you're a loser. 
You're driven to succeed, but you may fear success as much as failure. You take responsibility obsessively for everything. You are overly busy. You are chronically fatigued, not connected to the rest of God. You find yourself controlling people and situations. You need compliments. They speak to your soul like nothing else, except for the fact that you can't really receive them. You give, but you cannot receive, or at least it's much, much easier to give than to receive. You minister, but you cannot be ministered to. And you may receive criticism as rejection. So you may be constantly defensive. So, I know the first time I heard that list, I was just like, oh my God. I was like, well, I was like, we're going to throw this one out. This lesson doesn't apply. <laughs> yeah. No, I was uh, walking in a lot of that. So, no, it's all good. I think there's one more back. Nope, you're right. Didn't mean to doubt you, bro. You got me. So, for me, and this is uh, another thing that psychologists and counselors say, just a little framework. So, one of the ultimate consequences of this lifestyle, this performance-based lifestyle, and it makes total sense because it's totally exhausting and you're never, like, <laughs> able to receive, is depression. So for me, that's totally where it landed, 100% clinical style. Um, and this little chart kind of walks through it. So I'd be on top of the world. Holy Spirit would be asking me, is this really working? And I'd kind of be like, I didn't hear you say anything. Disillusionment causes performance to wane. It means like, you know, I'm kind of not really being fulfilled by what I'm doing. So... I'm not performing as well. I'm unable to work to earn love. All my ways that I've been earning love and satisfying that are gone. Relationships are failing. Doors are closing. People are stepping back because I'm a heavy trip. Black hole. Depression. A lot of times it would be, you know, short. I'm like, you know, maybe if I do something, I would just find within myself the strength to do a new thing, get a new job, go to a new place, be in a new relationship, engage with an old friend, you know, whatever it was. Things are getting better because I'd found another way to please that. Found another way. I'd work harder. I'd felt like I was more loved. I'd receive more love. I'd be back on top of the world. But then the cycle would start again. And it was just constant. There's no end to that cycle. It was uh, exhausting. And uh, yeah, you can flip to the next one. That was, that was what it led to for me and what it leads to for a lot of people. Um, circumcision of the heart. We'll get more to depression in a bit. It's about the attitude of the heart more so than the actions of the hands. This is the culture of the kingdom of God. It is not about doing or not doing the right things. God is less concerned 
with the cause of your hands than the position of your heart. It doesn't mean that what you do with your hands is not valuable. I believe that scripture would say the exact opposite. It is very valuable what you do with your hands, you know. Do all things as though unto the Lord. Lord, whatever my hands find, may I do them unto you. Lord, bless the work of our hands. I mean, it is all across the Bible. But God is much more concerned with the position of your heart than the placement of your hands. He'll move your hands if you give him your heart, totally. Um, It is about our life being oriented in such a way that we perform to gain value, totally missing, that we're already valued at a great price, Again, just to be clear, it's not that God doesn't have stuff for us to do, but the difference between co-laboring with God and working ourselves to exhaustion to earn something we already have is like from here to China. Those are two very, very different things. Co-laboring with God, getting in stride with him. What are you up to, God? I want in. Let's go. I'm your man. Send me, Lord. That is very different than this cycle of what we're talking about, where you're working so hard hoping and guessing, maybe, maybe this will please him. Maybe if I do this, I'll be a good Christian. Maybe if I do this, I'll feel his love. Maybe there's something I can do to, to make this better because I don't have it together and I need to do something about it. You can keep going. Relationship fosters obedience. Religiosity fosters obligation. If you trust in God's ability, you will be blessed. If you trust in your own strength, you will be cursed. I promise. So we're going to go to Scripture and see what that's about. We can back up one. So for me, what this looked like, again, we talked about earlier in that performance-based cycle where you're just working so hard for whatever reason. For me, it was wanting to balance the scales. I, um, when I was a little boy, I used to run around, I don't saying this dumb thing, uh, we have videos of it, but I'd be like, Mom, Mom, I'm not a bad boy. And she's like, I know. It's like, no, mom, I'm not a bad boy. She's like, I know, you're my sweet boy. And she's like, no, mom, I just was incessant. I would just keep saying this thing over and over and over again. Um, And so there was a season of life, probably 2009, 2010, where God was just doing a bunch of crazy stuff. Um, We were seeing people get saved left and right, healed left and right. I'd never seen healings. I was like, I heard about that in like some crazy missionary person in Africa somewhere. I'd never, I'd never even seen a healing. One of my friends, John Scott at college, he grew up in one of those kind of places. And, you know, I, uh, he told me a story where he was on a mission trip when he was 10 and he was praying over this goiter that was the size of like a grapefruit on this lady's shoulder. And when he was done praying, you know, it was gone. I was like, well, I don't think John Scott's a liar, but that's really weird. Moving on, you know, it's just like trying to put it outside of my mind. So anyways, there's this season of life where like God's just on like everything. You know, we try to throw a tailgate with 30 or 40 people and like 400 people from like all these, you know, Wesley kids didn't know if it was the Wesley tailgate. Five Slam kids didn't know if it was the Five Slam tailgate. 
I don't even know if the awakening existed yet. We didn't know what it was. You know, it's just like this time where there was favor all over a ton of stuff. Everything was just left and right, right? And it was totally God. People hear these, like, stories about it, like, <laughs> I have to debunk them. I'm like, you guys, we literally had no idea what we were doing. Like, do you understand? Like, we literally were like, let's do a tailgate, man. Like, me and Phil were sitting in my living room, um, and I was like, dude, we're going to throw a tailgate. We're going to take, take your TV off the wall, this big one, you know? It was er- early on for being delivered from performance orientation. So we were just like, he's like, are you sure about that, man? I was like, dude, dude, I'll take your TV, man. I'm trustworthy, you know? I got this. And I was like, dude, we're going we're gonna to watch the Georgia game on the quad. How dope is that? And he's like, how are we going to do that? And I'm like, we just talked about this. Your TV, the quad. And he's like, you don't have cable. How are you going to get cable to the quad? I was like, oh. I just, I just thought I'd plug the TV in and the Georgia game would magically. You know what I'm saying? We just had, that was like a microcosm. We had no idea, you know. We're thinking it'll be this tiny little thing. It totally blows up and has the Lord's presence all over it. It's like totally unifying in the body. We're literally in the middle of like, at the time, Drunk Fest, Myers Quad, dancing to like worship songs. And people were like, oh, this is amazing. They're like filming it. And we're like, what? <laughs> you know, like, we, and it was funny because we weren't like trying to, we didn't like have this game plan. We went in, we're like, all right, guys, we're going to play some Leonard Skinner, you know, turn down for what? We didn't even exist then. Whatever those songs we played out there at Tailgate. Oh, all the way turn up. And then we're going to drop Lecrae on him. And we're going to, like, minister the gospel. No, we just wanted to dance. Do you know what I mean? We're just like, yeah, let's dance. You know, but while we're doing it, the Lord is literally, like, rocking people. Like, all of a sudden, out of these moments start coming all these kingdom conversations and people coming up to our tent. We'd find favor left and right. We, we stopped bringing cable out there because literally, it would take us one to two tenths for somebody to be willing to say, yeah, we'll share cable with you. No big deal. Any, I mean, stuff would happen. It was just crazy time, right? So all this is going on. I'm in a position where I'm leading in places with it. And I'm getting, like, a lot of praise. Like, people who don't even like me are, like, praising me for it. Like, people who had issues in relationships are like, hey, man, this thing you're doing, it's good. You know? And I'm like, I'm, like, trying to, like, shuck it, you know, like, no, no, man, it's just, you know, it's all of us, man. It's all of us, man. But inside, I'm like, oh, thank you, God, somebody sees me, you know? (laughs) I was like, it was just coming left and right, right? And so that's one of the hardest things about about this thing in our culture that pulls on us because it gets subtle because a lot of times the things we're doing get praised. We were doing some of the right things, whatever those things are, you know, like, we were loving people. We were kingdom-minded. We were unified. We were walking in the joy of the Lord. You know, it was like all that stuff. But in my heart, oh, man, I was just like believing so many lies. For me, I was working so hard to balance the scales. I'm like, I am such a wretched person. I have to work really, 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 really hard. Like, I'll, get, I'll wake up at 430. I'll load all these trucks. I'll you know, convince my friends to do it. I'll drag them into it. I was like, we will totally make this thing amazing. We'll be on the quad sometimes like 18 hours. Now, granted, I like that. It's fun. But a lot of the fuel for me was like, man, I, I really got to do a lot of good. Like, if, if these people just knew how much of a poop head I was, man, I, I really got to make sure I keep, you know, 
Otherwise, it'll, word will get out and this thing will die. Because I'm, I'm the one who's making, you know what I mean? It's just like brokenness everywhere <laughs> in every thought. <laughs> you know, my thought was that like, if I, like, God, you've helped, you've put me in a position to help lead this. Like, I, I got to keep it together or else it'll fail. What's the ministry of God going to do without me? Right, you should be laughing. <laughs> it's like a lot of stuff, man. Um, anyway, so that was one of the things the Lord brought me back to in counseling was that like, yeah, I've kind of thought that I was a bad boy for a long time. I don't know what that's about, but it's a lie from hell. And uh, it totally affected my life, though, in a big way. I was praised in it, and God was still doing stuff, which made it even worse, made it trickier. Because then when I started to realize, like, oh, gosh, God, I, I'm thinking about this the wrong way. Like, it's not about performing for your love. I am loved. And then I would still struggle and, like, you know, totally do it the wrong way. And God would still do the blessing. He would still minister it, and then it would make me more mad. Because I'm like, no, God, I know that I'm not doing it right now. You know, don't bless this thing. And I'd be so mad. I was so furious because it didn't make sense. Grace doesn't make sense to the religious mind. It, like, doesn't fit. There's no place for it. Grace doesn't have scales. Grace doesn't keep a record. There's no place for grace in religiosity. And so it didn't make sense to me. I couldn't. I was so frustrated with God, with the Christian God. So you can keep going. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. I'm going to read this, talking about the blessing and the curse. Um, we talked about if you trust in God, you're blessed. If you trust in your flesh, you're cursed. Here's where it comes from. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots. Wow, what a bad font. That extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So, next. Cursed. A couple things from that passage. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Cursed is the man who makes flesh his strength. That's just like a bad choice. You know, like it's not even like, it's also a poor spiritual choice, but in general, it's just a bad choice. Like you're not going to get very far with it. So I just encourage you to stop now. You know, or, or totally like go do it, you know, and die and then be resurrected by God. Either way. But you can help the process. Slow death or quick death. Your choice. He's trying to kill you. Um, C, curses the man whose heart turns away from the Lord. Now, I love this. Again, thinking back to the idea about it's more like an attitude of the heart situation. The behaviors are part of it, but totally attitude of the heart kind of stuff. For he'll be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes. So it's not that prosperity won't come. It's that he won't be able to see it. The attitude of his heart and the perspective won't be able to see prosperity. He'll live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. 
Go to the next one. Conversely, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And this got me real jacked up when I was reading this. Whose trust is the Lord. So, like, that Jesus literally is my trust. Like, he, I can't even trust God without God. You know, there's nothing I can do apart from you, Lord. You know, what, what can I do to, to please you? What can, you? I can't even trust you without you. I need you so bad. That is what we are unified on, is our need, our deep need for God. So blessed is the man who trusts the Lord, and blessed is the man whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream, and again, added to the heart stuff, will not fear when the heat comes. Heat's coming. Heat's coming, no doubt about it. That's life. But when we are grounded and rooted in our identity, when the heat comes, we're no longer a slave to that fear. It's this reality. But its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Again, just the attitude of the heart. Lord, circumcise our hearts. You know, that when the heat comes, and when the year of drought's here, I'm not a slave to that. I'm not in fear. I'm not anxious about it. God's got it. I know it because I trust him, you know. So God is the only one who rightly weighs the heart. I love the names of God. They, um, they just like remind us of who he is. So Elroy's one, the God who sees. Proverbs 21.2 Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Proverbs 16, 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Um, in general, I feel like what God is getting at is that you're, you're not the best judge of your heart. Don't trust your discernment there. You know? Don't trust, like, we will totally justify anything and everything you know, to please our flesh, to, th to compromise, you know. That is the nature of humanity, compromise central. God is the only one who rightly sees, who has clear perspective. And that's why we got to go to him for it. Because his perspective is like the trump card, you know. It's like, oh, I thought all the spades were gone. There's another. I'm the creator. So keep going. Another story that I'm not even going to attempt to read off of that. I'm going to pull up on my phone. Um, just a reminder of um, the way God is and the way he sees. Let me look it up real quick. Does anybody remember the story, like the things that happened around uh, David being anointed as king? So I don't know if you guys are like this, but when, you, when I read the Bible sometimes, I so long, you know, what are those questions you're going to ask God when you get to heaven? I don't feel like mine are going to be deep at all. I feel like they're going to be like, okay, between verses 16 and 17, what happened? Because that's a big jump. Like, I want to know the story, you know? It, it will be totally the kindness of God to just play me movies, like, for a long time whenever I get to the heaven. Because I just so want to know. There's like, we are humans, and these people in the Bible are real people. You know, it's like I want to... What happened? Like, that is just, that one sentence does not cover that exchange. Um, anyway, so this is out of 1 Samuel 16. I'm going to read. Now the Lord said to Samuel, 
How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. All right, so first off, God's just like giving him the business. He's like, are you done? Are you done grieving? Like, how long is this going to go? Like, that's how the conversation starts. So I'm like, oh, okay. Well, in that case, (laughs) Samuel says, well, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. I feel like that's a really solid response. Like, that's legitimate. Like, God, if, if I go there, you know that this man will kill me, right? You may have rejected him, but, and you are God, but I am your lowly prophet, and he will literally chop off my head if I go there. How do you feel about this? So, the Lord said, take a heifer I have come, and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Get real spiritual with him. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. Again, like I just, I feel bad for this man in this moment, you know. I, um, God's never wrong. I just, as a human, I just relate to Samuel in that moment. Like, are you serious, God? So, like, this guy's going to kill me, and you want me to do it anyways. And, and God's like, yeah, I want you to do it anyways, and I just want you to anoint who I say anoint. Gravy? You know, it's like, all right, uh, obedience to the test. So Samuel did what the Lord said, came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? <laughs> I guess prophets were, <laughs> had a bit of a reputation <laughs> in those days. <laughs> he said, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them. When they entered, again, just keep your human eyes on. Sometimes we read the Bible, we just totally don't think like humans. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed, right? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So I just wonder, it goes on to say, he keeps going through all the sons, all the sons, all the sons, and he's like, and the Lord's like, uh, no, 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 no. And finally, he says, don't you have another son? Because the guy says, this is all my sons. He's like, no, there must be another. And he said, well, just David, you know, the guy's taking care of the sheep. And um, anyways, he anointed him for king. But I just wonder in that moment, like it's, it, to me it's, it's totally a, a good picture in Scripture of just the reality of being a human. You know, this guy's like scared. But it's funny because in, in that story as well, the people were intimidated by this prophet. You know, as soon as they got there, they said the people trembled and said, do you come in peace? But this guy, Samuel the prophet, was, was trembling before God. Because it seemed like God was like, uh, yeah, like he didn't respond to his question. I'd be like, God, did you, did you respond to Samuel's question about, like, don't worry, son. Saul's not going to kill you. I'll protect you. Now go and anoint. He was like, because that wasn't in Scripture. So I'm just like, did you comfort him in that moment, or did you just, like, tell him to pony up? Because either way, you're God. I'm just kind of curious. Um, sometimes God will just tell you to pony up, and it's time. And uh, I just wonder, though, like, man, as a, as a man, he had to think, like, okay, 
this is bad. And so when he goes in, certainly the first stud who walks in, like, this has to be him, duh. You know, he's like, no. He's like, and he reminds him, he's like, don't look at the outside. Obey me. He's like, all right, next stud, next stud, next stud. No studs allowed, you know? Like, what is the deal? And um, I feel like that's a good, that's like a good picture of a lot of times how our culture works, too. It's just so natural for us to, to look at the outside. You know, I saw this quote the other day. Um, somebody, some woman posted on Facebook. It was awesome. She said, what if, what if we judged beauty by the shape of someone's soul rather than the shape of their body? How much different would our culture be? And I was like, man, I feel like I would have an upgrade. <laughs> but I feel that's the way God is in all ways. He's just, he looks at the heart. And he rightly judges the heart. It's not just that it's his preference to look at the heart. It's that he's the only one who can rightly judge the deeds of the heart. He's the only one. Like, who can come before the hill of the Lord, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart? He is looking Spirit is roaming throughout the earth, looking for ones he will find faithful. When the Lord comes back, will he find us faithful? I mean, these are concepts all across the Bible. He's looking for the faithful heart, you know? Faithfulness, is, uh, it looks like different stuff. Keep going. So this is where it, uh, it gets a little tender for me, so bear with me. Um, I had... Uh, First thing I felt like the Lord really started working me through in counseling was authority issues. Um, just a whole lot. I, um, and what gets tricky about this, too, and this is just a little, this is a free little nugget. Um, sometimes it's even trickier when you're raised by, like, parents who love you. You know, it's like, I, I didn't have a dad who didn't sit with me. You know, I didn't have a mom who wasn't tender. I, my parents love me, and I've known that my whole life. But our heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. You know, it's easy for our hearts and our flesh to respond. And those responses continue, and they carry on, they prolong, they make strongholds. They make things that have a stronghold of us. One of mine was a total hatred at times, definitely a total fear of rejection at times from authority. Just authority issues left and right. Um, so in this same season where the Lord, I started going to counseling, um, it was at the end of that just like season where God's doing stuff. He, Lord started to show me, hey man, there's some, like, uh, there's some deeper stuff here. So I started going through counseling. It was awesome. Star beer, bless your life. You have many crowns and heavens for my soul, and you can count like every piece of fruit of my life is your own. Um, so in this time where I'm like working through these things, the Lord's like revealing like uh, issues with authority. Obviously, that means issues with God. He's like the ultimate authority. Uh, it's just manifesting everywhere across my life. Uh, almost got kicked out of a ministry I was involved with um, just for being an idiot. Um, and I was really like just really walking deeply in, in the things of stupidity um, and just la lacking boundaries, no discipline, no, um, 
just authority issues raging throughout my life, you know? If you think of some stereotypes, I was like walking in them. You know, I had the earrings, I had like, and I'm not against earrings. I have tattoos, and I'm like, it's okay. I'm just saying. For me, it was like, how can I? I loved the edginess. I couldn't even like put words to it at that time, but I loved my earrings because they were, they were so edgy. You know, it was like, I'm like a Christian rebel, which really means I'm so scared to be a son. I just didn't know it. And um, so during this time where this stuff's raging in my life, I'm bleeding it everywhere, I start receiving all these words about being an authority in the body of Christ. Oh, that messed me up. That was really, really bad. Um, I was literally for about four to six months, I received the same word, the same encouragement. If anyone ever was like, hey, man, I uh, just feel like Lord said, like I knew what was coming. They'd walk up to me. They'd say, hey, man, I, uh, I don't know you, but I felt like when I was praying for you that God just showed me, like, you're an authority in the body of Christ. Like, who are you? Like, what do you do? I would be, I would be at the Cherokee house, this old house of worship, and people that, like, there was this guy who came to Micah Ussery who we, like, all looked up to and thought was, like, just, I mean, he's a great guy. He's, like, a man of the Lord. He pursues the Lord. Um, I just, like, trust his ministry. I trust God in him, Right? He's sitting there. He's literally talking in the middle of, like, room, 70 people of just, like, all these, like, hungry little believers. And he's in the middle of talking, and he stops. Like, in the middle of talking, he says, who are you? I was like, you know, I'm there with my buddies, you know. Like, I might, I like my, this is my buddy's thing. And I'm like, he's like, who's this guy? Do you all know this guy? And I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, he's like, stand up, man. And he's, do y'all know this guy? And they're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, please continue to say something. And uh, he's like, dude. And he just went on for like two minutes in the middle of his sermon about you're an authority in the body of Christ, man. There's an anointing on your life for leading the people of God. And I'm like, in this room of people that's like, this isn't my thing, this isn't my like house, this isn't where I serve, it's just my buddy's thing, and I'm there. But again, it was impossible for me to receive that. I, I really, that's why it's so vulnerable because I, um, I totally didn't believe him. I totally thought that was baloney. So I had to stand there and, you know, yeah, man, thanks, bless the Lord, man. Mm, you know, whatever, you know, all the tenders. And uh, people would just come. I mean, seriously, 10, 11, 12 times in a row over four, five, six months, the same word. Every single time someone prayed for me, to the point to where I literally wouldn't let anyone pray for me for the next year. Seriously, the last person I let pray that word over me was my buddy James Lee. We were at Wesley, and we were worshiping, and James comes up to me, man, and, you know, I'm just like, oh, my God. You know, like, I can't hide anywhere. Like, I hide in the worst places. I hide at worship services. This is terrible, you know. Find a better place to hide from God. But James comes up, and he's like, Jesse, man. You are, and I, literally, he just like, when he starts on that path, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I literally can't get away. And he's like, no, you don't understand, man. You, some people are, I mean, I remember, I was in the, we were in the northeast corner of Tate. Like, we were right there. And he's like, some people are, are foot soldiers, and some people are officers. And officer's training is longer and harder. And you are a general in the army of God. And I'm like, shut up. 
You know, I literally, I mean, I should have been like, thank you, God. Amen. You will do your things in my life. You know, like, I'm just like, this is horrible. I couldn't receive. Could minister. Could flow in the gifts. Could lead. Could, couldn't receive. No ability to receive. To the point to where it made me so mad, I refused to let anyone prophesy over me, pray for me, or anything like that for about a year. Like, took counseling to, like, be even willing for me to, like, let people approach me like that again after that. Went to, took these uh, kids who were in this youth group to uh, a place called Morning Star. These kids were all very, very conservative. And, but they were, but God was, like, doing some unconservative things in their midst. And so I was like, well, let's go to, like, a safe place and let you just, like, be safe. So we go to this place, and I'm like, uh, all right, guys, you know, just, these people are just going to worship Jesus if they, if they hear anything as they're talking to Jesus, because, you know, like we talk about, I um, mean, you know, like 15, 16, 17 year olds, I was like, you know, we're just God's kids, so we hear our dad's voice. There's nothing weird about it. You know, we're not cuckoo. We just, like, we just want to listen to God. That's it. If God's saying something, great. If he's not, it's okay. You know, like, we can also read our Bibles. We can also, you know, it's like, don't, don't run away. Like, and so, we go to this place, and I'm hoping that these kids are going to get, like, encouraged, you know? And, of course, this lady says, you, you in the red. I was like, oh, my gosh, you know? Just like, literally, I'm still in that place. It's after that season. I've, I've moved. I was a youth pastor in Douglasville. But I'm in that place where I've been in counseling. When I come back to Athens, I'm, like, in counseling about not letting people pray over me. And she said, you in the red, stand up. And I look around like, please, God, you know, there's another red soul beside me. No, it's me. <laughs> And um, she says, she kind of stutters. She's like, and these people I don't usually stutter. They're like, choo, 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 choo. she's like, you know, you're you're kind of like Peter. You got this Peter thing going on. You don't always say the right thing, but you're the Lord's man. And I'm just like, I can't get away. Like, where can I run? Obviously, I'm still running to the wrong places because I walk in and people will still say, like, God's stuff. I was infuriated, tried to pretend to all my youth groupers that were there with me. I was like, oh, man, they're like, Jesse, those are so cool. That lady, you know, what do you think about that? And I'm like, it's great, man. Bless the Lord. You know, inside I'm like, you know, <laughs> so hard to receive it. I couldn't. It was impossible, you know. I just couldn't. And you know what is funny about it? It still is impossible in my flesh. It was never meant to be made possible in my own strength. All things are possible for God. All things. What he has for us is more than we could have ever asked or imagined. So when you have someone who shares something like grandiose with you about your life, don't discount it. Don't discount it. You know how the best way to tell if a prophetic word was legit? Just wait and see if it comes true. Easy test, right? So don't discount, like, when people speak to you about your life in a way that seems like, because here I am, bumbling through authority issues, almost getting kicked out of ministries, having horrible relationships with everyone I want to be a mentor in my life, bad boundaries, just like, and these people are giving me encouragement about being a general in the army of God, having this Peter thing. It's like, 
you got the wrong guy. You know, I don't care if they said it 15 times in a row in 15 different environments across six months. All of you are listening to the devil. You know, that's rational. So keep going. Let me see what time it is. Oh, we good. So anyways, all that to say, that cycle we talked about earlier, um, it's just the natural end of this kind of lifestyle. It's the natural conclusion. If you try to garner all your value from, from your works, we know that we're not saved by works. You definitely are not. You can gain value by works. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It's just like the, in the end, it kills you. It literally, because you, you can never stop. You can never, you, it's a constant keep, keep climbing. It's exhausting. It's impossible. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You can't do both. You, you, really, you really can't. Um, so for me, this totally led to depression. Um, that cycle of on top of the world, Spirit of God asking me, is this really working? Me putting my fingers in my ears, getting disillusioned, getting down, black hole. Probably mid-2012 to early 2014 was like a consecutive black hole. Um, it was easily the worst experience of my entire life, and it easily saved my life. In the middle of this experience, I was actually at uh, my good friend Karen and Chuck Brocker's house. I was staying in their basement, and uh, I was depressed out of my mind, had failing relationships all around me, um, failing romantic relationships, failing friendships, just was a total wreck because every way in my life that I had garnered value was unavailable. I couldn't please any of these people. And on top of that, the cover-up for me was always ministry. When I got back from being a youth pastor and the Awakening invited all my friends onto their leadership team, I was not invited. It was absolutely the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. It was absolutely one of the best things that my brother Travis ever did in my life is to stop that cycle. So I'm in this place, super, super low, super black, and I have this really pretty intense encounter with the Lord. I'm before the Lord, and all my works are displayed before him, and the room is full. I mean, I've been like, I think I was doing ministry even before I knew Jesus. I just grew up in a really, I just grew up in a big conservative evangelical church. And so I was, I was a leader. I was outgoing. I was doing ministry even before I knew God, right? I was a youth group leader, sang in the praise band, involved with college ministry, came to Athens to an internship with, internship with the ministry. I mean, it's just like that's, that was my life. I was that guy. All my works were displayed before the Lord. And there's a scripture that says, um, on the day of judgment, all your works will be displayed before the Lord. Everything that's made of wood, hay, and stubble will burn up. Everything that's made of precious metals will be refined. 
So I'm looking around the room, and I'm very excited. It, I don't know how to explain it. It was, it, was like, it was like with my football. My favorite football coach at high school is a guy named Todd Freeman. I quit football my sophomore year because I hated it. Excuse me, junior year. Came back senior year, loved it. It's like an all-region linebacker for our high school. Loved it. Just had an amazing year with all my friends and just was a super fun time. It's probably the most best athletic thing I'd ever done was that senior year football season. My coach, my position coach was my dude. I just, I would have run through a wall for that guy. I was so excited when I made a play on a Friday night because I knew Coach Freeman had worked hard and set me up and put me in the position to make the play, and then I made the play, and there was like this, this connection we had in that. I felt the same way before the Lord in this moment. It wasn't just that I had a lot of stuff and I wanted praise. It was like, no, God, you set this up, and then, and then I was there, and I did it, and now we connect in this moment where, like, you set me up to have success, so we, we both have success. All of a sudden, like 98% of the room, like, burns up. Now, understand when I say that, like, I've been doing everything in my very outgoing, energetic personality to work really hard for God since I met him when I was 15. And at this point in time, I was 27. And 98% of the room, like, burned up. And I heard the Lord say to me, he said, son, I don't care if you have a multi-nation ministry. What I'm looking for in the earth is faith. I urge from you to buy from me the works that are made of precious metals. So I, went, I was back on the couch, even more depressed now. I was... You know, everything else had failed. That was my cover. And now God himself rebuked me. You know, I've told that story to people, and people literally looked me in the face and been like, that can't be true. Because my life looked like so much ministry that it's literally impossible for them to get through their minds. They're like, no, I saw the way you ministered to my child. I saw my son's life, my daughter's life. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. Like, God is the trump. Like, what he says is, he's the only one who rightly, like, discerns the heart. He's the only one. He rightly sees the heart, and he rewards each man according to the true merit of his deeds. So forgive me if I don't trust your opinion about me versus the Lord's. That rebuke was the most gracious thing that Father God ever did in my life. And it totally transformed the course of my life from being a place where performance strives central to just death and resurrection. Within, the Lord started to just hide me and started to teach me the ways of his heart. It was like I was relearning how to walk as a man of God, it was a total relearn. A couple of moments, keep flipping a little bit. It was just crazy. Like, you know, I knew all the stuff. I'd been to seminary. I didn't know all the stuff. That's really stupid. I knew, I felt like, and people were constantly reinforcing in my life that I knew things. You know God. You know the things of God. You've ministered in the things of God. You know. 
But God started to teach me things that were core to my identity. And these are like the first three things he taught me. And this is where we're in. He taught me how valuable I was and how valuable everyone else was around me. That at every moment, every, I had this encounter where I was at lunch with friends of mine. And again, this sounds so dumb, but my life was like a performance thing. And so I would try to work these social moments to happen where, where I'm sitting by the person I want to sit to. Or so-and-so is connecting. Even if it wasn't me, it's like, oh, I want them to connect. So I'm you know, constantly trying to just make something happen. Manufacture. I'm sitting there, and I'm in a town that's not mine, and my friends are at lunch, and they're sitting on the other side of the table. And to me, I was like, I'm sitting with these total randars. I came here to be with these people. Like, and me and these two random girls in the most non-connective, just like genuine way, had the most amazing conversation. Literally. Like, we were talking, and we were being so encouraged in the Lord that this whole side of the table is like, they're just like looking down. They just want some of the action. We're just like so having good, sweet fellowship with God. It's like stirring holy jealousy in these people down. They're like, oh, man, so what are they talking about? I just want to make sure, you know. Like, they just, they're so excited. And the Lord so spoke to my heart and said, everyone is so valuable to me. Because I knew I was valuable to him because he came for me when I was worthless, when I could do nothing, when I could earn nothing, when I felt like I was disappointing everyone in my life. Jesus proved to me that he leaves the 99 for the one. I'm the walking proof. If you're the one who feels like you've gotten away, he will come. It doesn't matter your response. He will come. He comes. I promise. It's one of the only things like my life proves. He always leaves the 99 for the one. He never, never lets his ones leave, ever. He is a good shepherd, and he will come. That is how he rolls. He taught me to be thankful for all things. I was doing landscaping, and he taught me to, like, thank him for the smelliness and, you know, working all these long hours and for the shovel and, I was just like, man, I'll start thanking God for dumb things. I'm like, thank you so much, God, for the shovel. And I don't know, it sounds funny, because, I mean, it sounded funny to me, too. I was like, why am I thanking God for these inanimate objects? I hate this job. And I loved my, my buddy Josh was the landscape guy, and I was like, Josh, I'm so thankful for this job. I'm so thankful you gave me this opportunity to work my butt off to, for, like, 10 bucks an hour. So thankful. Bless your house. You know, like, I hated it. I wanted to go DJ a wedding and, you know, make a few hundred bucks to have fun. That's what my life was about. Not work for a week or two or seven to make the same, you know, sweating all day. I'd call my dad, complain at the end of the day, because my dad's just like a great man of integrity, like works hard, and it's just like that guy. I'm like, Dad, I'm so tired. He's like, now you know my life, son. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want to be about that life, Dad. <laughs> And um, anyways, God just started to, like, teach me things that became core to my identity. It, it, it was so drastically different. Um, and Drake, you can go ahead and come up. It was just so drastically different than anything I'd ever experienced in the Lord. I was so bad at trying to be a good Christian. I thought that was, like, my plight in life. I was like, God, I just got to try so hard to be good. And I'm so sucky. And I just need your help so bad. Make me good. Make me good. Make me good. 
I'll try. I'll do everything. I worked hard. I was a ministry leader. You know, I served people. I loved people. I went for it. You know, he did all these weird things and started healing people and prophetic stuff. And I went for it after my friends in Belize told me to stop running from it. You know, like, I was trying. But he's so concerned with our hearts. You know, it's like he's, he's just a good father. So, like, it's not that he doesn't care what I do with my hands. You know, if you ask my dad, he or my mom or anybody in my life who's been there, like an authority, they'd be like, yeah, I love Jesse's whatever. You know, he, dad loves the stuff I make. I made my dad these every time we had art class when I was growing up. I made him the same thing. I didn't realize it until I was in high school. But I had, like, he's probably got eight of them. He called them gym clip holders. It was essentially where you take a bunch of clay, you know, you make your little snakes, you roll them out, and you set a stack of snake on a snake on a snake on a snake. You kind of crimp it down, and it makes this little cup thing, <laughs> which is good for nothing, <laughs> except holding paper clips or, you know, sitting on dad's dresser. But man, my dad kept those. You know, he's not, it's not that God's not into what you're into. It's not that he doesn't care about what you do or your passions or your dreams or what's in your heart or your excitement or your gifts. Those are great. But he is so much more concerned with our hearts and where we position our hearts and that our hearts would know. Because when we know who we are, when identity is rooted, destiny just unfolds. But when you try to like, perform your way into like your life in the Lord it doesn't work and it was never meant to work that's why it doesn't work you know there is one way and that road is narrow and it's about picking up your cross which means dying to yourself and that's the way that's the way that leads to life So, yeah, if our ministry team will come down front, I just, if there's anything you want prayer for, or you want us to agree with, or even if you don't know what you want prayer for, I just know that our, our culture is like, so, so tempted us in this way. We've all been kind of raised in the same thing. And I feel like the, the more and more and more that I'm on the other side of this, this resurrected life, it's so different. I have freedom to make mistakes. I have freedom to not have it together. It's not, I mean, it's okay to not be okay. You know, I've, I, I feel totally different about my life. Now I still, like, I'm telling you, this is something the Lord is, like, working me through, you know? But I'm living proof. I mean, my life is like the walking testimony of, of like a life that's, that's like been resurrected. You know? It's like real. The things of God are real in God. They just get kind of jacked up in the flesh. So there's any way that we can pray for you, we can believe with you, 
You know, whatever you want. We want to make that available. Drake, if you'll lead us and then, yeah, we just want to make that available. So, be up here.